0: Welcome to Tea Time History Chat Live. Today, we're going to be looking at how is an anointed monarch, Charles I, how was he tried for treason? Because we're only a couple of days after his the anniversary of his execution, so we'll be talking about that. I want to talk to you about Catherine Gray. It's not long um, since we've had the anniversary of her death as well. Heir eh, to Elizabeth I, so we're going to talk about her. And of course you've probably already seen the discovery of this incredible Tudor necklace that came out in the news yesterday. So, of course, we can't do today without talking about that. So I'm streaming live on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. So thank you very much to every one of you who is joining me live. If you've been here before and I've seen lots of um, familiar names coming up. Hi, thank you. It's lovely to see you all. And if it's your first time here, then uh, welcome. And um, hopefully you'll enjoy this next um, hour or so. You can also grab this, by the way, on the playback. It all remains up and online on the relative um, platforms, uh, and also a audio version is on the podcast. So hello to you if you're on the listening on the podcast, Millicent. You beat me to it. Thank you so much, Millicent. Uh, 20, uh, 0224 has just bought me a badge on Instagram. You can support me um, by doing that on Instagram if you're watching on Instagram. Stars, I believe, on Facebook, which you may even be able to do on the playback. I'm not sure. Instagram, it's just when you're on live on badges, um, and also super chats on YouTube. Um if uh if you're watching on YouTube, you can also, of course, buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about all these exciting things that are going on in terms of anniversaries and um and, and history in the news. So um if you just, just joined, just letting people join for the first few minutes. Thank you, Angie, for the badge. Thank you very much. Um, you. So we'll be covering Charles I. How, how is an anointed king tried for treason? Is treason not crimes against the monarch? But Charles I was tried for treason. He was found guilty for treason. He was executed. Um, so let's look into that. And then, like I say, Catherine Gray, heir to Elizabeth I, she, um, it's the anniversary of her death only a few days ago. So I'd like to look at, at her story a little bit. And then we are going to look at, of course, this amazing Tudor necklace, which was discovered in Warwickshire by a metal detectorist. And, he's uh, he'd only been doing it six months and he found that. Can you imagine? Whew. he'd be like, right. He's peaked. I wonder whether he'll keep going or is he's just, he's done it now. He's found is is is. I'd be like that. Oh brilliant this must be all I was here to find but it's incredible this necklace and I can see um, some similarities um, with the armor of Henry VIII which dates to uh, 1515 I think it is which is in the White Tower of the Tower of London so if you're watching on YouTube um, and Facebook I have got a picture of the comparison which I will share with you later if you're on instagram um after this i've actually posted on instagram the the pictures um so that you can see what i mean anyway cheers i hope you've got a cup of tea or something equally recuperative um right before we get on to our first segment i just want to give a quick pa- a patreon shout out um four new patrons this week anita helen max and sherry so welcome to them we're um they got in just in time for our first book announcement, although anyone is welcome to join book club and um, we'll come over to Patreon. There's loads of stuff. There's loads of stuff going on, but book club is one of them. Um, we first book is the ship of dreams um, Titanic, the ship of dreams by Gareth Russell. Um, it's the, um, the sink of the Titanic and the end of the Edwardian era. Brilliant book. So that's our first one. We'll be meeting on the 19th of March. So um, for our virtual book club, you can join that at patreon.com forward slash British History. Um, good afternoon, Dorothy, Mayfair a switch on YouTube. Hi, how are you doing? Um, hello, Alyssa. Um, All got people joining from all over. Um, they're in Mexico. Um, hi, everybody. So, yeah, and thank you ever so much for those of you who've already bought me badges. Um, Millicent and Angie, I can see you. Cole. Right, so... 30th of January 1649 and an anointed king is executed in London. Charles I is executed by beheading with an axe outside banqueting house. You can go to the site very easily, actually, where Charles was executed. Um, The scaffold was erected just outside the banqueting house. He came out of one of the windows, although I don't think we actually know which one. Um, hello, Donna, over in Canada. Um, and, and he's executed um, in front of a large crowd. Now, the crowd is somewhat uh, contained, controlled, um, and controlled in terms of actual crowd control and numbers by the fact that they've chosen this location outside of Banqueting House, which at the time had still the, um, the, the Holbein gates there, which, um, which is actually where Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn got married, um, for maybe the first or the second time. That's a different story. Um, why would they need to contain the crowd? Well, not only are you doing a public execution of a high-ranking person, but despite there being a trial, despite there being a conviction, there's still an ease in Parliament as to whether they've actually getting support. Now so the main the main thrust of what I'm going to talk to you about is how could Charles have been tried for treason? So I'm going to try and give a little bit of context. There had been seven years of civil war and it was brutal. It was brutal. You had families on different sides, friends on different sides. Um, The death toll was something incredible. I wrote it down. I think it's one in 10 Englishmen. So this is not to dismiss the Scottish and Irish death toll, but this is the stat that I found: one in ten English men died as a direct result of being killed in a battle during the English Civil Wars. Um, that is not to count as well those who were left injured. There was incredibly, uh, uh, there was an incredible problem with homelessness and beggars on the street because people had been injured, couldn't work. Um, and and this was as a direct result of the Civil War. Enough. Oh, I just went off YouTube. Then I hope I'm back. People had had enough after the Civil War, or uh, they were still continuing, but the, the threat was still continuing, and it had begun um, really as. Oh, I'm going to try and simplify this. It's not a simple matter, as you, as any of you have come across the um, English Civil Wars will know. But effectively, Charles and the House, the House of Commons were at odds from the beginning. Charles wanted to be um, uh, granted um, a particular tax, I can't remember which one it, one it is, which was supposed to be granted to every new monarch in perpetuity on their recession. Parliament decided that they would like to just do this for a year and then review it unclear as to why they wanted to review. It could have been for just pretty pragmatic reasons. You know, this is a centuries old sort of thing. We're going to have a look, see, see how it, how it works. Is this actually the best way of going about it? Um, so, so there are odds from the beginning. Now after, you know, seven years worth of, of suffering and death and injury um. Like I said, people had, had 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 enough. Parliament had actually got Charles under arrest. Um, and they were looking for a way to negotiate with the king. Perhaps he could come back with less power. Perhaps there's some other way of doing it. Probably interestingly, it's po- probably what they were t- trying to do, is kind of what we've got now, maybe on a lesser extent. Um, and so. The, the the problem is charles is incredibly stubborn and never is not stubborn he never gives an inch he doesn't want to negotiate um now there's there's something called the treaty of newport which which was the beginnings of a negotiation and it was never completed but in this charles admits uh, or concedes that parliament had to raise arms in defence of his um, offensive action. That's key because the way Parliament spin this is that Charles waged war on his people. He waged war on Parliament as representatives of his people and he waged war on his people. So that becomes key. Now, the Treason Act was written in 1351, if you go by the dates of the time, 1352, you may also hear it as um, that's the, that's how historians refer to it because of the change of the start of the year. But so the the Treason Act, when the Treason Act was envisaged, it, it it had, it, it couldn't, it couldn't even contemplate that the state and the monarch would not be one and the same. And so, You've got a position here where Parliament wants to bring the King to um, to justice for waging war as they see it on his people with the treason Act, which does say kind of that that waging war on on the land is is or on the people is treason. however it assumes that if you're doing that, you're also waging war on the monarch. Here you've got the monarch waging war on the people so the legal basis for trying Charles for treason is is shaky so I'm not gonna be able to explain it to you and it's like oh that's exactly why no but the story about how they got to that is is incredibly interesting I think so now you had um, ordinances read now ordinances, ordinances sorry are um Bills pass through Parliament without royal assent. So an Act is when the monarch's present. You couldn't have an Act because the monarch isn't present. He's already in prison. I mean, Charles just didn't hold Parliaments because he didn't want to be. He didn't. He didn't like the scrutiny. His father actually, who was also fully believing in the divine right of monarchs, d- did enjoy the banter a bit. Apparently, he he did enjoy. Um, Sort of showing his prowess, prowess I suppose, at being able to argue his case, whereas Charles just didn't argue his case. He didn't want to, and would only call Parliament when he wanted money. Um, so, so they, they they read an audience, an ordinance. Excuse me, um, uh, in the House of Commons, and the normal route would be the House of Commons a uh, number of readings it would be passed then it'd passed up to the house of lords for another debate and approval or rejection so everyone is a little bit shaky now this all the, the actual um idea through to the execution of that idea happens really quickly over the christmas of 1648 um So they're not... Oh, thank you, Lottie Rose, for the badge. Thank you. They're not already thinking, right, treason, execute the king, is gone. That's kind of not how... What they're trying to do is find a way through the stalemate. Charles won't negotiate. Parliament wants to be in charge. They see Charles as having created bloodshed. And you've got massive, pop- you, I mean, you reduce the population by 10% just purely from the battles, the, the male population. So the, you know, the, the, the working toiling pop- population and you've created a massive, um, you've got a massive uh, homeless problem and, and social problem. And um, Cromwell delivers a speech actually in Parliament to say, because they've got the king under arrest. So this is already a little bit, oh, shall we be doing this? It's God's will. God's will God has shown no matter how icky you feel about the fact that we've got the king in prison or we're we're running we're we're sitting in parliament without the king we won all the battles we won so God's clearly on our side um and you know this this um Pro- providential thinking was was very much Cromwell he'd had a mental breakdown in his 20s and he'd come out of that this is what gave him his sort of Puritan faith Um he came out of that and and and, and really adopted um his his faith in um earnest if you like thank you Katie for the badge thank you very much um so it was like yeah we don't want to, we're gonna have to do it we're gonna have to do it because it's God's will and he's always they're always looking the, the puritans are looking for um for god's um approval or god's uh so what does god want us to do and they're looking for signs all the time um and there's a lady called elizabeth Poole and she has a vision now her initial vision is that um that she um I'm just trying to find where, what, what she, I mean, I know what she said, but let me see if I can find it. Yeah. So she's, she's actually saying to, she goes to the, um. there's an army council. Now there's an army council, not, there were not the members of parliament who by this point have um, barred Charles supporters or anyone who's sympathetic to Charles's case from parliament. You've got what they call the rump parliament because it's, it's, very, it's it's only a few members compared to what should be there. They have physically barred these people. It's a military coup. And the army council are saying, you need to get rid of the king. They're angry. They're angry. They want rid of the king. They want this over. They want him to pay. And Elizabeth Poole goes to this army council um with her vision that the, the country is personified in her vision as this sort of a weak and um, sort of a feeble woman who needs protection. And the army, well, they're a brave, strong, young man who who can provide them with protection. Now, this played right into the army council's egos and they're looking for a sign from God. And here's this, this Puritan um, lady who follows the Puritan faith who's had a vision that they are the country's saviors. And, um, and they run with it. They run with it. So there is a um, um, a, they want to bring the, the, the um the king to trial. They need to find a legal basis for this. So there's a committee who um who uh, who are, are, are put together who have to try and come up with the legal framework around trying the king um not only that but how do they try the king like there is no court there is no court where you can try a king he he, he, he's it you you it is it is the 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 king's bench versus the the um the accused so how are you going to do that um so they uh they come up with the idea that they're going to have um Oh the other thing is a jury there'd normally be a jury on a normal in a normal court case they don't want a jury a jury is far less controllable um so they decide they're going to create a special court a high court um which will sit for a month and instead of a jury they're going to select commissioners commissioners will act as both judge and jury but there's going to be loads of them it's fine well We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but it's still very dubious legal groundwork. They've, I mean, effectively, they come up with a way of doing it. There is no proper legal basis for it. Um, so um, they're remembering that the treason law is set up to protect the king, presuming that the king is synonymous with the state. So what they do is they add a charge of tyranny. Now if i I will just actually read you um, so the Act laid out the reasons for the trial being necessary, and it says that Charles Stuart, the now King of England, not content with those many encroachments which his predecessors had made upon the people in their rights and freedoms, hath had a wicked design totally to subvert the ancient and fundamental laws and liberties of this nation, and in their place to introduce an arbitrary and tyrannical government, and that besides all other evil ways and means to bring this design to pass, he hath prosecuted it with fire and sword levied and maintained a cruel war in the land against the parliament and kingdom whereby the country hath been miserably wasted so they're going for um for this uh this charge of tyranny so they're adding tyranny that's how they begin to try and get around the problem of how do we try a king for treason? Well, you you say he's it's actually a tyranny against the people. Um, they do a number of other things as well. Um, so, um, let me see what I've got here. So they yeah they um, they do form um this this ordinance with obviously a retrospective view. Um, I mentioned earlier it has to go through the House of Commons, it has to go through the House of Lords. The bill or this ordinance to try the king goes through the House of Commons and it passes after lots of wrangling. People are not happy. In fact, there's a there's a document in the Bodleian Museum, the author unknown Going through the pros and cons of what might happen clearly somebody involved who was trying to work this out what were they going to do um but on the 4th of January oh sorry I was going to say about the Lords so the Lords it goes to the Lords just before the um recess uh, well in fact Parliament don't have a recess because they don't believe in Christmas, <laughs> celebrating Christmas. In fact, they, they shut down a, a, a playhouse that dares, it's already illegal, dared put on a play um, around Christmas time uh, this Christmas. But um, so, yes, yeah, so the ordinance goes up to the House of Lords scrutiny. Again, like with the House of Commons, the Royalist um, sympathisers or um, uh, Royalist supporting Lords are kept out. They're not allowed to go in at all so parliament think that they've sort of i suppose controlled it or the army do um you've got about a dozen parliamentary parliamentarian leaning lords there some stayed away anyway now what they did they voted against it and then adjourned they all left london (laughs) they were hoping to delay the bill They were hoping to delay this idea that they were going to put, that of Parliament, that the House of Commons, should I say, that they were going to put the king on trial. So what I should point out, sorry, I should have pointed out earlier, is if you put someone on trial for treason and you find them guilty, the punishment is death. So this isn't just about holding the king to account. If you're going to hold him to account with a charge of treason even if you've added tyranny in there, it, it it could lead to the death sentence. So the House of Lords aren't really very happy about being involved in this at all. And so um, they... They adjourn, hoping that it will take the the heat, the momentum out of this bill, and they'll come back, and maybe something else would have been um, would have been sorted. Now, Charles, at the time, is being held at Windsor Castle, probably, possibly, we don't know, but doesn't have a clue that this is what this is where things are are going. Now, instead of it taking the heat and the momentum out of this bill, on the fourth of January, so while the House of Lords are are um, in recess. Um, the House of Commons uh, announced that after, after the, 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 the I'll read it to you that the Commons of England in Parliament assembled do declare that the people under God are the origin of all just powers, and do also declare that the Commons of England in Parliament assembled, being chosen by and representing the people, have the supreme power in this nation. They're effectively declaring that the House of Commons has sovereign power in the country with no need for the support or assent of the House of Lords or the King. So they're not getting the the answer that they want. So they're creating a law that gives it them the power to make I mean this is a little bit like Henry VIII isn't it when he he wants his divorce from the Pope Um, the Pope doesn't give it to him so he just changes the entire framework and becomes head of the church in England or when he can um, then therefore grant his own divorce so in they've effectively made England already a republic which is quite incredible whether they understood whether they all understood whether any of them understood the 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 what they've done um isn't completely uh, clear there seems to be a bit of a blinkered approach here that just they need to do something about charles charles doesn't help himself because he will not he he will never in the past and he when he won't at the moment he may not have been given opportunity to but negotiate with parliament he's not going to renege on anything he's not going to come up um with a halfway house um So effectively now, the House of Commons are directly governing England. No need for the House of Lords, no need for the King. So 6th of January, and the law is passed that they're going to put the King on trial for treason. He's now going to be made to answer for what they see as his crimes. Um, At this point, Charles is now informed that he's going to stand trial. Now, he simply and calmly states, no one's got the right to try him, except his God and his conscience. let say, Charles should have had, <laughs> Charles should have um, something on his conscience. And actually that was one of the, um, uh, that was one of the arguments that somebody made to themselves in this document that's in the Bodleian Library, that should, uh, this this pros and cons kind of list of, of of trying the king and the possible consequences of that, one of the notes that this person makes and the author's unknown is, well, if Charles really gets his head round, my words, um, what he's done, then he should want death really effectively. He should want to pay for this. He would, he would understand what he's done. Like the civilian toll, um, of the english civil wars um at the hands of royalist forces and and there's, there's clearly um examples of parliamentarian forces ransacking cities as well um but the king you know is is in charge and what's was, what was central to these um uh the the the, the, the accusations was he had to be there himself was he there himself well so so because then therefore he is actually personally um uh to run us to run anyway uh he's, he's there so um so anyway so he's he's now told that he's going to be standing trial um the before the trial on the 9th of july the Commons vote to destroy the privy seal. Now the the seal, which you'll have seen on, on, on old documents, the mould for that is ceremoniously destroyed by a new monarch, and then the, the new one the new one takes over. Co- the, the House of Commons votes to destroy the seal of Charles I On the 9th of January, on the 10th of January, they proclaim in public that Charles is going to stand trial for treason. And what's interesting is the crowd's reaction is pretty much neutral. They're not objecting to it. But equally, they're not supporting it. It's like everyone is just worn down. Um. On the 10th of January, they, they set the trial for the 20th of January. It's going to happen on the 20th of January. Um, on the first day, these commissioners that I mentioned, so there's going to be no jury at this trial. It's commissioners. The commissioners sit as judge and jury together. They're one and the same thing. There was... Um, initially more than this, but I think there was 135. So 150 originally, then 135 were actually were appointed and asked to appear on the first day. I don't know what happened to the other 15 by this point. Only 54, though, of the appointed commissioners appeared. On the second day, only 46 appeared. (laughs) Um, Now, I do wonder whether this idea of not having a jury, there's another reason for having commissioners. This is only my take on it. I might, this is just my thought, is a diffusion of responsibility. There is incredible unrest, even within the, the parliamentarians, the, the ones who are deciding to put Charles on trial. Remember, they've had, to, they've had to rid parliament, they've had to rid the House of Commons of anyone who isn't fully behind the plan of which there were many. So they have this rump parliament. So, and they've had to get rid of the house of Lords because the house of Lords won't support it either. They're nervous. They are clearly nervous that they don't know what's, whether they're doing the right thing, but back to divine providence and God, it's God's will. It's God's will. And Elizabeth Poole, actually, this lady who'd had the vision of the country needing the protection of Parliament, comes back and says, "Excuse me, that is not what I was saying. You should do." Um, she's she goes back to them. Not only does she do that, she actually gets the uh, her set her her um her recasting of her vision or her her view of what her vision how her vision should have been interpreted. She gets it published and she recasts it that the king, the king is your husband. Parliament is your, is the wife. Y- you can't divorce your husband. You can't. So this is her take on it. She goes on to cast the um, parliament as strumpet. She actually uses the word strumpet, which is like a tart, like, a, you know, an unfaithful wife um who's reveling in their husband's destruction. She clearly sees a macabre um attitude from Parliament that ooh look at this power we are managing to give ourselves. We can kill a king, you know it's it, it's 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 um it's abominable to her. Um so so it, so it's it's all on shaky ground plus they know it's on shaky ground but it's god's will it must be god's will because it they won all the battles charles didn't win a battle he didn't win a battle um so yeah so there was still this um this objection but remember we've got this army council this 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 the, the we've effectively had an army coup there got they've got a very strong influence on what the the remaining members of parliament are doing they're pushing them and what they're effectively saying is if you don't do this the army is going to take it's going to do something we're going to do something i don't know what it would have been maybe maybe another coup maybe you'd have a the 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 the, the rank and file taking over from from the um army commanders but they weren't they were they were not shy in saying they wanted um, um yeah they wanted the outcome that, that of Charles paying for his crimes. So you have a role of the army in the civilian government, which actually Thomas Fairfax, who was um head of the army, was very concerned about. Anyone should be very concerned about it if you're just gonna have to follow the uh, the 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 wants of the person with the guns and the and the brute for uh, force, then things don't generally work out very well, do they? Um, so yeah, so you have um, so so they they're bringing him to um, to trial. Um, when he gets to trial, thank you, the mania Maena, for my badge, thank you. Um, when he gets to trial, of course, Charles won't. Um, <laughs> won't recognise the court, um, which in one way is fair enough. It's the product of a coup. It's, a, it's basically an arbitrary military court. Um, he is the anointed king. Legally, they don't really have any authority to try him. Um, there's nothing in law that allows for that. Um, what they do is state England as an elected monarchy, Um, now that's pretty easy to, um, to dismiss. Clearly England was not and is still not an elective monarchy, but this is what they're trying to say that actually the king is, is an elected monarch and therefore he can be deposed. Um, and he can be seen as separate to, um, to, to the state. Um, again these army petitioners approach the court it's not in the court record apparently but 22nd of january so two days after the trial's begun um the army petitioners approach the court and tell them that they must get rid of charles he's a tyrant um although this hasn't got any basis in civil law you've of got this like military law to, sort of sort of coming in here um and this is where it becomes important that Charles was actually on the battlefield um, because he's seen as ultimately responsible. Um, and again, back to his concession during the Treaty of Newport, which wasn't ever completed, wasn't ever concluded. So whether he would have gone on and argued that in some way, we don't know. Um, but, th- but he can set, he can, conf- he can, concedes that Parliament had waged a defensive war. Therefore, he's he's the one who, who started it. <laughs> he was on the offensive. Um, but despite all those defences that he could have had, of course, he's not defending himself. He doesn't defend himself. He gets into the court and he um, keeps his hat on. They all keep their hats on. So there's no reverence to the king. He sat there in his hat because he's not going to take it off because he doesn't recognize the court. And they're sat there in their hats because they're not going to pay him any dues, pay him any reverence. Um, He speaks calmly. He has a stammer, but he doesn't seem to display that here. He's very calm when he does speak. And to say that he's not going to recognize the court, um, when... The prosecuting counsel, a man called John Cook, reads out the indictment. Charles shouts, hold, which Cook takes no notice of and he carries on. And this you might have heard of this. It's almost legendary, but it doesn't seem to be anything that does to have happened. It's not disputed that it happens. Charles taps Cook from behind with his cane and the head of the cane um, falls off, which seems rather ominous. Which we 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 can think of because we know what comes next, um, and not only is it fallen off, but no one, of course, is going to pick it up for him. Um, he actually uh, he, he's in court for um, for the first couple of days, and then he um, and then he is taken out of the court um, when the witnesses come in. Now, these witnesses are lowly. You have witnesses testifying against the king who are I think one was an 18 year old butcher or something from Sh- Shropshire I might have made that up but, th- but that's the kind of person who is who is sitting in witness against the king um now the private sorry the 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 um the verdict was sort of decided privately on the 26th of January it was announced publicly on the 27th of January um he Seems to have known it was coming. However, when it finally comes, he is he is a bit uh, shaken by it. He actually his composure is incredible. Charles I's composure is incredible throughout all this. Um, um yeah, he's he because he's and he's not allowed to speak after the um after the the uh, the sentence is read out. He's not allowed to speak. So. That's when you start to see a bit of a break in his um, in his composure. The death warrant then I, I shared this the other day on Instagram and Facebook. the death warrant is signed um, but it's signed over several days and there's stories later on that people were forced to sign it. but these stories of people being a um, being forced to sign it I mean they hold they hold true in a way. You've got less signatures on the death warrant than you had people stand up um, to show their assent to the to the verdict, but they're also they're also on trial themselves by this point. It's the restoration, and and they're on trial. So um, being told that they've been, you know, you, you would you'd say, "Well, I was forced to, I was made to," but maybe there's there's a maybe two things can be true at the same time. So so that's that's how Charles I was tried for treason it was it was that Parliament changed laws um there's there is a great um quote and I, I don't know if I'll be able to find it which basically which ba- basically the king came up with it uh, said himself if 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 the people if Parliament can create their own law, if the person in charge can create their own laws then they can then no one is safe no one's no one in personal property is safe um because they're just going to create laws that allow them to do what they want to do so you said so they they they're fighting charles as a tyrannical ruler whilst bringing in tyrannical um things so that's how so there was no legal basis they molded what they had into um into a basis for doing it and it, it it starts to fall apart afterwards anyway but that's 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 as far as we'll go into it today because i've taken up 40 minutes of that already thank you for sticking with me i might put that together in a blog for patrons actually um that might be quite a good blog if you want to be part of my patron um, club. That's a, a blog a month as well as a historian interview a month. You get early access um, as well as book club and discounts on tickets and early access to tickets. In fact, if you're interested in coming on the Anne Boleyn tour or any of the two, well, we're definitely running the Anne Boleyn tour May 2024. Um, and... Um, I haven't put the rest of the calendar together yet it's forming as as I speak but it's not because I do it but it will be forming <laughs> um it is um really worthwhile becoming a patron because you get seven days to book on before it goes on general release so yeah I think that would be a good blog topic so thank you for sticking with me for that um Later this week, I'm going to release a video that Gareth Russell and I recorded this morning um about the Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots tour. Mary Queen of Scots, just just for anyone who's not made the connection, it was Charles I's grandmother. So <laughs> Mary Queen of Scots was executed by beheading, and only her grandson was executed uh, you know for only two more generations down which I find as the first time that occurred to me I was like goodness me you know that's um that's close isn't it so anyway but me and Gareth were talking about the the tour that's going on in September we've got some spaces left so I'll release that video and you can have a little uh, a little look at that later in the week oh. now I wanted to speak to you also about Catherine Gray going back to Elizabeth I, if you're all happy to stay on for a bit longer. Or well, you can come back later. This is this is going to be available. So um, Catherine Gray was the, uh, so you've got Lady Jane Gray, then you had Catherine Gray, and then their younger sister, Mary. Um, and sh- so she, Catherine Gray, as was Jane, as was Mary, were named successors. To Elizabeth the first by way of Henry VIII's will and and Edward VI. Well, in fact, Edward VI didn't put Elizabeth in at all, (laughs) he skipped her and went straight to the Greys. Um, and we've had the anniversary of her death only a few days ago. She, um, she died on the 27th of uh, January, what year? 1568. And it's a tragic. Um Mayfair Forest which has half half a teapot left so we're good to go good to go I'll keep going and when we've done this obviously I'm going to talk about the Tudor necklace as well so, so stay tuned for that um, yeah so Catherine Grey um, sister of Lady Jane Grey yeah like I say named in the succession Um one of the books actually we've got in book club I'm just looking because I did have it here with me I think I've put it behind me it's on the stack behind me these, by the way, if you're looking on YouTube or Facebook, this is the, the stack of books for Book Club. We're going to be doing Ship of Dreams by Gareth Russell, which we're doing at the moment. We're meeting on the 19th of March, and Gareth might be joining us. He's just checking his diary. Um, House of Dudley by Joanne Paul, Blood, Fire and Gold by Estelle Peronc, House of the Power, Simon Thurley, and The Sisters Who Would Be Queen by Leander Delisle. Incredible book um so that, that they're all coming up in, in book club but I would recommend all of those anyway for independent reading if you're not part of book club in there she follows the story of the grey sisters um largely overlooked because we um are drawn to the story of you know mary queen of scots um um how deb's got her books ordered fantastic um mary queen of scots claim now not only did Mary, we'll, we'll cover this on the tour actually in September, we'll cover this, but not only did Mary, Queen of Scots have her claim and push her claim, Elizabeth preferred her claim to that of the Grey Sisters. Um, now, the, the Scottish line, the line of Margaret Tudor, Henry VIII's elder sister, was not in Either the succession plan from Henry VIII or Edward VI. Uh, anyway, so so you have the Grey sisters. Um, Catherine was born in fifteen fourteen. Her parents were Francis Brandon and um, and Henry Grey, Duke of Suffolk. Francis Brandon was the daughter of Mary Tudor, Mary the um, the youngest sister of Henry VIII. When from her marriage to um, Charles Brandon, hence, hence the name. So, so they're a legitimate line, which, which, so they're named in the Successions. They're named in both Henry the and or their line is, and Edward the Sixth, uh, wills for the succession, and they are legitimate. There's no, um, there's no um, uh, concern about their legitimacy. Um, now, obviously, we know that that so in the run-up to um, uh, Edward's death, the Gray sisters are married. Well, Jane Jane is married to Guildford Dudley, brother of Robert Dudley, by the way. Make that connection. Uh, older brother to her uh, to to him, and um, the sisters Catherine Catherine was either married or betrothed to. Um, uh, uh, William Herbert, Henry Herbert, sorry um, and Mary who was only nine or something was betrothed. This is all as Edward's coming up to, 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 to his deathbed because he writes his device for the, the succession, which I did a TikTok on and I think I put it on Instagram as well. Um, he writes it desperately trying to find a male heir. So he, he writes that yeah, his his um his successor should be a male, um, uh oh, heir of Francis. Uh, failing that, of Jane. Failing that, of Catherine. Blah, blah, blah. And and then as he gets close to death, uh, or it becomes obvious that he he's not going to survive, he changes the succession to um, skip Francis because now we have Jane, younger, more likely to have a male heir soon. Uh, so it skips to her. After Jane's downfall um, and an imprisonment in the Tower, uh, the the Duke and Duchess of Suffolk managed to get a pardon from Mary I. However, you then, the following year, have the Wyatt Rebellion, which the uh, Duke of Suffolk is, unfortunately, uh, uh, involved in and this would have been to again overthrow mary and and um and bring jane or some or well, maybe elizabeth to the throne so this is actually when jane is executed she's not executed straight after um uh, in, the, in the previous summer when she when mary takes over the throne they they um they're executed the following um uh, early year early in the following year excuse me and so jane is executed Um, her husband Guilford Dudley is executed and her father Henry Gray is executed so the family are now at the sort of behest of um of Mary of the monarch for everything do they get any lands do they get any income do they get a position it's all um it's all on Mary um Catherine's appointed to Mary's Privy Chamber so they're at um court um And she's hoping that her marriage to to, uh, Herbert will be uh, reinstated. But it never is. And actually, she falls in love with Edward Seymour, son of the late Lord Protector Seymour. So he is a nephew to Jane Seymour. Um, Before uh, Mary may or may not have approved that match, Mary dies, unfortunately. Now you have Elizabeth on the throne. Elizabeth was as sensitive to talking about her succession as Henry had been. Um, she also didn't seem to like Catherine very much, um, but they, they were kept at court for a while until she decided she didn't want her there. <laughs> now, unfortunately, Catherine decides that the best course of action... Um, isn't to ask Elizabeth for permission to marry Edward Seymour, her new love she's not going to give it anyway so they marry in secret Um, his sister stands witness and there's a celebrant and they consummate the marriage. They're only 20 at the time and Edward Seymour is still young enough to be considered um, to uh, to go abroad for his education so he goes over to France for his education And he says, I'll come back. If you're pregnant, I'll come back. She is pregnant. She's fallen pregnant really quite quickly. And um but Catherine's pregnancy. So Catherine's at court and her pregnancy becomes more and more hard to cover up. Um and I must say here that marrying without royal consent if you're of royal blood was a treasonous crime um it's part and parcel of um conspiring to maybe topple a king or queen um and and yeah so so the, so it, it, you can't marry without the permission of the monarch catherine's married without without the permission of um of elizabeth so she goes to um to a lady of the bedchamber of Elizabeth bedchamber Elizabeth St Lowe better known to us as Bess of Hardwick and to Robert Dudley and she pleads with them to break the news to um to Elizabeth um they do, but it doesn't help her. And um, and Catherine is sent to the Tower. Edward Seymour is um, is Earl of Hertford. He's brought back to England. He's summoned back, and he's put in the Tower as well. And in September 1561, Catherine gives birth. She gives birth to a boy. So Catherine is a legitimate heir, and she's just given birth to a boy. Um. He's named Edward. He's baptised within within the tower. Um. And Elizabeth is furious. The best course of action is to say that the child is illegitimate, not an heir. It's not an heir. The marriage was is illegitimate. Now, by this point, um, the uh the celebrant, who we don't know the name of, was never tracked down and um and edward's sister who was the only witness to the wedding had died so public declaration of intention to marry and consummation would have been enough but as far as the public de- um, declaration of marriage was uh, called you know they, they, they decided no there wasn't well elizabeth decided that that wasn't that hadn't happened in october 1562 Elizabeth falls ill with smallpox now it cannot be overemphasized how close to death Elizabeth was in 1562 um on um did a tour last year and 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 Gareth spoke specifically about Elizabeths we did the life and times for Elizabeth the first and he spoke about this it, it she was incredibly close to death she also by the way named robert dudley her um her regent or to take over in the interim Mm. they weren't going to do that um so yeah so she 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 catches smallpox she's very close to death she recovers obviously we know but her council are pressuring her now she has to name her successor she must do it um you know she's she's now 29 she's she's, she's or the following she, she's 29 she's she's ha- come really close to death there was it would have been so th- so as far as her counsel are, are concerned you know if she doesn't name an heir then there's going to be a civil war but elizabeth sees all the danger of um the same danger actually in naming an heir well if i name an heir then people are going to flock to to them. And we do see this. We do, you know, it's, it's not actually an unfounded um concern. We saw it with uh, Mary and Jane. We see it later on, obviously Elizabeth wouldn't know, but we see it in the Georgian period where you end up with sort of rival, rival factions. And so she doesn't want to name an heir. She thinks that as soon as she names an heir, um there's going to be division and she's not going to have have the the, the control. Um I'm sorry if you can hear the bins being cleaned outside. <laughs> um, now, Elizabeth, the more she's pressed to name an heir, the more doggedly determined she seems to be to not want to want to name an heir. She favours actually Mary Queen of Scots' claim. Her council, including people like Cecil, do not do not they favour the Grey um uh claim so but it's about this time that the council and elizabeth learn that catherine gray imprisoned in the tower of london has become pregnant by her husband again or they're claiming not husband but um by, by edward seymour again so now you have the public declaration of um will intention will and an intention to marry, and you clearly have had a consummation um interrogation of the couple um shows that they they were having um late night liaisons, and the basic the guards have been sympathetic to them. the second um child is born on the tenth of february fifteen sixty three another boy um, and um and oh Sorry, Lottie Rose. Lottie Rose is having trouble with with connection. If you ever need to watch these again, they're on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, and obviously on the podcast as well. Um so Thomas is born. He's he's christened in St. Peter Adventula, a couple of the guards stand as godfathers, which I think must be incredibly brave, actually. Hartford, so Edward Edward Seymour, um, Earl of Hartford, he's 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 called up in front of the uh the council in the Star Chamber, and he's found guilty of three offences impregnating. The uh, impregnating a um, kinswoman of the queen twice—that's so one, one, one offence each—and of breaking his imprisonment, he's fined an astronomical figure, which would be equivalent to millions of pounds today. And he's, and he's, um, he's returned to the Tower. Now, in the summer of 1563, this is interesting. In the summer of 1563, so she's given birth in the February, Catherine, and um. We're a year on from Elizabeth's health scare with smallpox. Plague is ravaging London. So summer 1563, plague is ravaging London. It's only a matter of time until the plague gets into the Tower of London where Catherine, um, Edward Seymour and the two infant boys are being kept. Elizabeth has to be persuaded to move Catherine out and move the what well, move move them out of London which is interesting because she she has a when when it comes to Mary Queen of Scots with her being imprisoned she has a clear will wish that Mary isn't around anymore she doesn't want to kill her she doesn't want to give an order. We know that when, the, when she's finally sort of given the chance to sign her death warrant, she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to kill, want to kill Mary. She doesn't want to um, cause her death directly. But it would be a little bit easier if she just wasn't around. Uh, which is partly why she's well, probably a big reason why she's kept in places like Tutbury Castle, which we'll be going in September on the Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots tour. We're going up to Tutbury Castle, a prison of Mary Queen of Scots, the one she hated the most. Um, she was kept in appalling conditions and it was on purpose to, because if something happened to Mary, in fact, I'm, it's incredible that Mary survived her conditions, but if she just died, that's a bit easier for Elizabeth. And with Catherine, I'm wondering whether this thought is going through her head as well. Well, if, if the plague gets into the tower and Catherine and the two boys get it, then whoops, ho-hum. So she has to be, she has to be persuaded to move them out. Um. Clearly while they were in the Tower of London, there was some contact allowed. Catherine was with both her, her young children, um, the newborn baby and the 18 month old um, Edward and, and. Possibly, probably was getting to see um, her husband as well. But they moved them out and she's separated from her eldest son. He goes to her mother-in-law. Um, her husband goes elsewhere and um, she is uh, left just with, with the, with the um, baby. And she's taken to her uncle's Lord jo- John Grey's um, at Pergo in Essex. And it's made very clear to him he is now her jailer. Catherine Grey is still under arrest under house arrest and he actually writes within a month he writes to Cecil um worried about Catherine's um health she's becoming depressed she's losing her appetite um now actually um this is she goes through a series of house arrests um uh and she 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 never she, she, she just well she does I suppose she falls into a d into a depression as it goes on and on and it becomes clear. Now she does actually never get to see her eldest son or her husband again. Um but but they um sorry uh her, her uncle John Grey writes to Cecil and says what can what can we do? What can we what can we do? Cecil recommends that Catherine petitions Elizabeth write to elizabeth and and he even advises her on what to say and we'll get this this petition and we'll get robert dudley to deliver it because he's the one who's safest to deliver bad news to elizabeth or anything she might not like um and catherine this gave catherine hope catherine thought maybe elizabeth will forgive us and i can be with my husband they are clearly in love clearly in love um but elizabeth refuses to forgive and uh uh She writes, um, so Catherine writes, uh, so just after this refusal, she writes down um, in a letter, I rather wish of God shortly to be buried in the faith and fear of him than in this continued agony to live. She is literally losing the will to live. Um, So... (laughs) um, and, and so, so she 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 dies possibly. Um, I've seen some some reports saying consumption. I think it says consumption on Wikipedia, but maybe anorexia. You know, she's she's actually refu- what we would maybe recognise as an eating disorder because she's she's managing her depression through controlling her food. And she dies on the 27th of January 1568. Um, she's only 27 years old. So it's really sad. She's in love. She's had two sons, but because of how close she was to the uh, throne, Elizabeth effectively she effectively rids her actually. Um, and and I would really recommend Leandra Delisle's book, "The Sisters Who Would Be Queen," um, <clears throat> because um, it, it's it's actually quite a long um, story with lots of elements in in it. So it's it's it's. It's interesting, and it made me look at Elizabeth a bit different. Actually, I think her stubbornness not to, um, especially after the, the smallpox scare in uh, in fifteen sixty two, it's it's so stubborn I was just thinking about how we were talking about the stubbornness of Charles I it's so stubborn not to have um and reckless really not to have had a a succession plan you know for for everything that that Henry VIII did wrong he did have a plan he did have a succession plan um Edward had a succession plan Elizabeth refused um so Catherine was buried in Yoxford Church in Suffolk but her um and her husband um the uh, uh, Edward Seymour of Hertford he outlived her by 50 over 50 years 52-ish years Um, he didn't die till 1621 and their grandson um, had a tomb erected in Salisbury Cathedral and if you have a look on my Instagram um, I've done a, a reel about Catherine's tomb and she's buried next to her husband Edward Seymour and he she's actually elevated she's in a um she's at the back so he's he's the one closest to you if you're looking at the the monument she's at the back at an elevated height to show her her status her royal status so could we have had a Queen Catherine the first perhaps perhaps one of her sons would have um would have inherited um they, they also died. So, but, um, but there you go. So I think Catherine Gray is such a um, pivotal um, character. It's like last week talking about Princess Charlotte you know, these, these people who they were there, they were there, they were significant, they were pivotal at the time, um, but they can get lost because they don't make it into the, into the um, kind of overarching narrative. So that was Catherine again. Probably do a do a blog on her at some point. Now we'll talk about the necklace before we go. I definitely will talk about that. Um, I'm running run out of breath. Um, before I um, go to that, we've uh, to, just to remind everyone, Dr. Susie Edge. That's the next. Um, interview which is coming out patrons you get that on the fifth so this sunday coming everyone else it's on general release um or the following um sunday right now if you're on if you're on instagram i apologize there's no way of me bringing up other photographs while i'm talking but if you're on youtube i want to show you well I'll, i'll bring it up in a moment let me just um tell you what i'm going to be showing them so we've got this Amazing find that was announced yesterday, um, made by, excuse me, a um, a metal detectorist, which I, I, can't, I can't think of his name. I've just looked up his name, but he's in um, uh, Charlie Clark, um, who owns a cafe in Warwickshire. She isn't that far away from me. And actually, the first thing I was thinking was because I saw the picture of the um, necklace, and it's a heart. For anyone who hasn't seen it, with the with H and a K. Um, uh, On one side and on the reverse, there's a Tudor rose and a pomegranate. So these are the symbols and initials of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. It's quite large. I mean, it weighs a third of a kilo, 317 grams, which is pretty, it's pretty weighty. Um, It's on this Forty-three centimeter long tra- chain. I don't know how much that is in inches. I'm afraid. Um, must be about 14 fifteen inches, something like that. Um, Seventy-five gold links, and the, the so you've got the chain and the clasp, which holds the heart, is a little hand. So how cute is that? Um, but yeah, one of my thoughts was, how on earth did that get to Warwickshire? <laughs> it's like we're not, we're not London. We're not. We're in the Midlands. Worcestershire's in the Midlands. I used to work in Warwickshire. Um So how it got how it got there is 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 in is still a mystery. Um, and I was reading one article, and I I really like this idea, and I will tell you why in a moment. Was it a prize? Was it a tournament prize? Was it something that was given either from Catherine to Henry? Or Henry to Catherine, but probably more Catherine to Henry as a as a, a prize. In the joust, the, the women used to you know tie handkerchiefs sort or of put you know, sort of prizes on the on the end of the lance. Um, was was that the case? Was it was it a um, a, a gift to a courtier? Um, and because it's, they're dating it sort of early on, although it, it, without without the the. the there's no. I don't think there isn't much evidence of the providence of it. You know, there's no receipt for it. There's no order, um, which there are for some some things. Um, wondering whether is it around? Was it created around the time of the? Um, thank you, Mayfair for a switch. Uh, was it created around the time of the fifteen eleven celebratory jousts for the birth of Prince Henry? Because Catherine and Henry did have a son um he he unfortunately only lived for a few weeks um around about twelve weeks was it um it, long enough to hold the joust and think, we've done it. We've got a son already brilliant unfortunately he 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 died as we know um but there's some interesting and tantalizing clues. The first one is the fact that it's a heart, which was fairly rare at this time in Tudor jewelry second is at that tournament henry is um uh in'll say in, in in air quotes disguised as uh sir Curly, Curly loyal so sir loyal heart so and he and he had heart that his um his horse's um stuff <laughs> bridles and everything had, had hearts on them to um as decoration so was that is it possible that it's uh, it's linked to that I kind of like this theory although I don't know whether, how much evidence there actually is for it um so I want to show you now what it made me think of um so again if you're on uh, Instagram um when you come off go straight to my last post and you'll see what I'm talking about um if you're on Facebook and Instagram, uh, YouTube, excuse me. You'll be able to see. So, you've got the gold necklace, the heart, which I say, like I say, on one side, you've got an H and a K. On the uh, other side of it, on the reverse, you've got the Tudor rose and um, and the pomegranate. The stylizing of the initials of the H and K reminded me very much of Henry's um, armor um, from. Uh, a jousting 1515 this is a uh, jousting armor so he's it's like a metal skirt so you can sit on the horse and, he, and and he's got this armor going around and along the bottom of the skirt is intertwined eight well they're not quite intertwined but eight linked h and k's initials to me they look very similar in style to the ones on the necklace which kind of gives you the idea of that starts to date it, perhaps. This is only my theory, but um, this is this is something. This piece of this um, armor of Henry's jousting armor re- always just really fascinates me. If I go to the Tavland and I always go and stand there for ages, maybe I'll do a reel on it. Actually, um, Monica, I don't know whereabouts in Warwickshire. I was trying to find that out actually. If anyone does know exactly where I found it, or even. The nearest town that would be very interesting. So you've got these H and these and this K that around the skirt of Henry VIII's um, jousting arm, which is in the White Tower of the Tower of London, looks very similar to that on this necklace. Um, then you have the Tudor Rose and the pomegranate. Um, yeah, Kate says, I wonder what else is buried out there. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it so exciting? It's so exciting because. Um, it challenges us every time something like this is found it challenges us to remember that we only have what we know we have it doesn't mean we have everything and therefore there's there is stuff out there to be found there um there is stuff that either adds to our understanding or might change our understanding of something um I love it I love it so um again Eva (laughs) yeah Monica probably don't want us all going over there and (laughs) and digging up the fields Um, apparently though they have said that where the um where the uh, um, field is used to be woodland in the Tudor times so again how how did it how did it end up there because it's chunky like I say the whole thing I think weighs um 300 well it says 317 grams here that's a third of a kilo pretty much that's not that's not something small um so interesting uh now also on the armor so along in in this this armor it's absolutely covered in etchings henry dates it's like 1515 jousting armor absolutely covered in etchings and um those of you who are watching on youtube and facebook will be able to see on the picture that i've put up sorry if you are on instagram you have to pop over to my youtube in a bit and just scrub to the end and have a look is the tudor rose um this is his leg this is the back of the this is a calf covering. Um, uh, so you have there the Tudor rose um, and you have the pomegranate of Catherine of Aragon. And the pomegranate of Catherine of Aragon it has the split in it to show the seeds. So I just thought I'd bring that up for you because it um, I, I just think it kind of, it, it's really interesting to start to see different pieces and see similarities. Um, someone's made a really good point. Caroline, could it could it be traced to a particular jeweler's style of the time? So, according to the articles I've read, and I think this kind of stands to reason anyway. The the research is continuing, um, and presumably, hopefully, that 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 is something that um, I imagine that people who know about this sort of stuff will be looking into. Does this look? Like a similar piece from a similar time. Is there anything that 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 yeah that links it to a particular maker? Um, oh, it's like a bit of a detective trail, isn't it? Very exciting. So, so really exciting. Yeah, In Mayfair Forest. You imagine just casually out metal detecting. So he'd. Be, so apparently, um Charlie I said had been metal detecting for six months six months and he finds this amazing incredible incredible put his feet up now charlie you're done you're done you've got it you, i mean we had the falcon didn't we that um that paul uh found re, uh, not too long ago that's it that's on display at hampton court palace in the in the hall there the great hall um and i think this necklace will be on display in the british museum it's all very exciting. Thank you, everybody. It's been a long one today. I hope that's been interesting and useful, and you've enjoyed it. I will be back the same time next week. I will also be back tonight on History After Dark at quarter past eight, streaming on Instagram and um, and YouTube. <laughs> Caroline, meet Charlie on the tour. Maybe we can go to Charlie's Cafe. Um, yeah. So we're we'll doing History After Dark tonight. Is a roundup of the uh, deceased people should I say as it's the daytime that we have been discussing so far we're going to we're going to start scoring them they're going to go into a league table of deceased people of dubious character so if you want to join us for that it's really fun it's history after dark history dot after dot dark on instagram history after dark on youtube so I'll be there at quarter past eight tonight otherwise I will see you again here at 1 p.m next Wednesday whether you're watching Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, and whether you catch me on the catch-up or the podcast, however suits you, however works for you. Right, everybody, have a fabulous day, and I will see you all soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.